Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Celebrate Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, 1 Timothy 1 and, and verse number 18. The Bible states this, these words, Paul speaking to Timothy, that is. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Again, the, the phrase under consideration is, let your conscience be your guide today. And we'll ask the Lord to help us right now. God, we need your help this morning. God, considering this and pondering this, I pray today, open up our minds and our understanding, O Lord Jesus, of your word. And let your word, Lord Jesus, speak to us today, God. That word, Lord Jesus, that's full of power. Lord, the word of God, the very word of God spoke things into existence. And I know, God, it's able to speak something, God, into our own lives and our hearts and souls. And we'll be, Lord Jesus, enriched by the word of God today. I thank you for it and I love you for it help me Jesus as I tried to teach today God help my mind and my lips God mark any air from them Lord to speak this word in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen and amen everybody say amen you may be seated this morning let your conscience be your guide first let's define the word conscience today conscience is defined as a critical inner awareness that bears witness to the norms and values we recognize and apply they say that it is that faculty of the mind or inborn sense of right and wrong by which we judge the moral character of human conduct whether it be our own or of others in, uh, in the little comic strips, it might be illustrated as the little angel on one shoulder and the little devil on the other shoulder, uh, being the conscience. The word conscience only occurs in the New Testament Scripture. You'll not find the word conscience, at least in the King James Version of the Bible, you will not find the word conscience in the Old Testament at all. And in the New Testament, it is found somewhere around 31 times in New Testament Scripture, and only one of those times is it even found within the Gospels. Whenever it is found in the Gospels, it bears very true to the definition that I gave to you this morning. Uh, it's used whenever those men had brought the lady that was caught in the very act of adultery unto the Lord. And uh, they were saying that they should stone her. And Jesus writes there in the, in the dust and says, basically, those of you that are without sin, cast the first stone. And the Bible tells us, them being convicted by their own conscience, that they begin to drop those stones and step outside of that that arena or that circle of convicting the lady that had committed adultery because their own conscience told them they had sin in their own life and some mistakes in their own life and so that's where we see it in the gospels in the new testament but when we consider this it's it's not it's not 
uh, odd to consider that it's only found in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament from, from Genesis to Malachi, we see that largely the Old Testament focuses on the externals of man, the, 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 the tangible sins of man. It all the time is talking about men that are finding themselves getting caught in the vice of adultery or it will speak purely about murder or adultery or stealing. All of these externals of man many times, excuse me, are focused on in the Old Testament. But when we come to the New Testament, uh, the focus isn't as much as external as it is internal. And it's there that there a light bulb comes on. We understand that a lot of the externals that they were dealing with in the Old Testament was a result of some internal problems. And so the external was just a manifestation of what has already taken place within the mind and within the heart and within the soul of a person. And so on the New Testament, they kind of turn inward and look at the internal. And so then we see this cropping up of this word conscience in the New Testament scripture dealing with the internal if you will, of mankind. As a matter of fact, scholars even said that the word conscience uh, was a very rare word before 200 B.C. It was a rare word, hardly ever even used. But although the word itself is not in the Old Testament, its flavor or its concept is found throughout the pages of the Old Testament Scripture. In those first 39 books of the Bible, though the word itself is not there, the concept is still there. It's just many times in the Old Testament, they, instead of saying conscience, they, they, they equate that with what we think or what we deal with our heart and in our mind. For instance, whenever David was in the wilderness, in the wilderness and particularly in a cave, the Bible says in a region called in Jedi, he was in there, he was a fugitive of Saul. As he was in there, it came to pass that Saul came into this cave and David reached forth, the Bible says, and cut off the skirt or the hem of Saul's garment. And he had no sooner had done this, the Bible says that David's heart smote him David's heart smote him now it doesn't say conscience there but that's in in essence what it's talking about David felt bad for what he had just done cutting off the skirt of the king the anointed one of the Lord and so when it said that David's heart smote him it's talking about his conscience was convicting him he felt guilty he felt bad he felt shame Job also in the book of Job Job believed that through everything that he was going through all his turmoil and pain and hardship, he believed that he would, to the best of his ability, keep his integrity and that he would not speak wickedness against God. And as a result of that, he said in one particular place in Job, Job chapter 27, he said, my heart shall not reproach me. In other words, Job was saying, I'm not going, I'm not going to allow myself to do something that would bring me the guilt and the shame of my conscience. That's what Job was really saying. Doesn't use the word conscience, but that's what he's relaying to us. I'm not, I'm not going to allow my heart to reproach me. Now, we say, well, you know, I, I've, I've heard my conscience every once in a while. I, I've paid attention to it. I've, I've done something or not done something based upon my conscience. And I might say today that our conscience may act as a tremendous guide, tremendous guide to decide what is wrong or right. But here is the fallacy of a conscience. Amen. It'll guide you according to what was wrong or right, but all of that is based upon what type of value system you have. It's based upon what type of value system you have. That's how what one person may consider wrong may not be considered wrong to another person. 
Their conscience may say that's okay. To another, it may be wrong. But it's all about what your value system is because your conscience is based upon your value system. And so a conscience that has not, if we could say there is such a thing, a conscience that has not a value system is kind of like a gun without ammunition. Amen. Kind of like a gun without ammunition. It exists, you still got a conscience, but it doesn't function. <laughs> Amen. Amen. As a matter of fact, when we look at the word of the Lord, uh, and I've been, going, I've been doing a Bible study on Wednesday mornings uh, with someone for about an hour at a time, except this last week I went an hour and a half, shame on me. But nevertheless, um, <laughs> we, we, we've been going through the Bible starting in Genesis, and, and as the Bible has it, you go through the Bible in any type of Bible study, and they'll break up the Bible in different ages or different periods of time or dispensations. And the first period of time, whenever Adam and Eve was brought into this world, they entered a world that God created uh, uh, something that was known as the, the age of innocence or a period of time of innocence because the Bible even describes in that second chapter concerning Adam and Eve that whenever God brought Eve unto Adam and gave her unto him as his wife, the Bible says that they were both naked, but they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. It seemed a period of time of innocence uh, they were without if I could state it like this they were without the knowledge of good and evil the only knowledge the only knowledge that Adam and Eve had originally of good and evil is whatever God had supplied them with and what God supplied them with in the very, very beginning of what was good or evil was of every tree in the garden thou mayst freest, free, eat freely but of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat the day that you do, you will die. So God gave them the only little measure of what was good and evil, the only value system they had was really just two things at that time. Every tree's good except the one in the middle, that's bad. And so by and large, by and large, Whenever you just have, whenever your understanding of good and evil is just regulated to one item, what's the good trees and what's the bad tree, by and large, you're mainly innocent. You're mainly innocent. You're, you're, you, you, by, by and large, there's not a whole lot yet that you understand. You're mainly innocent. But the Bible describes to us that Eve, even with that understanding that was given to her uh, by God, her husband, rather, there in the garden, that that serpent came about, and he began to try to deal with her concerning the one thing that she knew was good or the one thing that she knew was evil. And she, with that understanding, still betrayed, amen, what she knew to do that was good, betrayed, and went on and did it anyway. And the Bible says she took of it and she gave to her husband and he did eat likewise and they both betrayed what they knew to do which was good. Now here's the thing, folks. I'm setting this up for a reason. Adam and Eve took of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now the Bible says after having done that, they understand now that they're naked and now they have a sense of guilt and a sense of shame that accompanies that. Amen. They see now they're naked and now they have a sense of guilt and a sense of shame. And it's at that very moment after eating the tree that they move from a period of time of innocence into one that is known as conscience. 
because now their conscience is fully fueled, not just with one item that's been given to them by God, but now their conscience is fully fueled with all of this knowledge of what is good and what is evil. For that matter, I, I, I gesture today that perhaps all of this knowledge of what good and evil is, this value system you might call it, is a pretty good morally value system because it came from a tree that God created. And so they're supplied with this value system, a pretty good value system of what is good and what is evil. Remember, God even came down in the garden and he asked them, he said, who told you you were naked? Who told you were naked? What God was trying to do was for them to confess that they ate of the forbidden tree, the one rule that they had of knowledge of good and evil. And when they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that supplied their conscience with everything they needed to know at that point in time of what was good and what was evil. What are you saying this morning then, Brother McGee? I'm saying this, without the tree, listen to me very closely, without the tree of knowledge and good and evil, the conscience didn't have any basis to respond to except what God provided. Are you with me? God says every tree is good, the one is bad. Didn't have anything to respond to except what God supplied. Now with all the knowledge of good and evil, the conscience had the raw power at will to respond to things whether they were good and whether they were bad. Here, here's the thinking today. I believe God kept the tree of knowledge of good and evil off basis, off bounds, prohibited from Adam and Eve because he knew the day they ate of it, it was going to fuel and supply their conscience with what was good and what was bad. And instead of leaning on God to fuel the conscience with what was good and bad, they would rely on themselves. They would rely on themselves. Uh, why? Who needs God now? Huh? <laughs> you know, things really haven't changed too much from the beginning. You don't have to tell me what's wrong. I know. You don't have to tell me what's right. I know what's right. But that's subjected to whatever type of value system you have. That's subjected to whatever value system you have. Before, God says, don't eat the tree. God's told me that. So whenever I start doing that, my conscience, he must have evidently betrayed something, said, I'm going to eat it anyway. Now they have all this knowledge within their own minds, within their own power, and so they're just going off of their own conscience. The thing is this, folks. Your conscience may be good if it has a good value system, but there's even good consciences that falter and fall over time because man has a choice still. Your conscience may be a guide, but just humanity still has a choice whether to follow that guidance or not. Amen. And so it doesn't take long to see this proves out in the word of God because it doesn't take long in the time of conscience of Adam and Eve already taken of the tree. It doesn't take long to show that man has an inability to get on without God. Uh-huh. To get along and on without God even though they know good and evil. Adam and Eve knows good and evil. They're going to have some sons and, and they're going to know good and evil as a result of their parents knowing good and evil. Amen. And so let your conscience be your guide. If, if that's the phraseology, if that's, if that's the mindset, it already fails in the very next chapter because there's a boy that's born from Adam and Eve by the name of Cain. Has no doubt a morally based knowledge of good and evil. 
But whenever it comes time, he has jealousy in his heart that rages against his brother. When they're out in the field, he kills his brother anyway. Now, there's not one thing in my mind that tells me that Cain, with a morally based conscience of good and evil, his mind wasn't telling him, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But guess what? He did it. Amen. He did it. He did it anyway. Why? Because at this place in time, not only is man dealing with a conscience of good and evil, man is dealing with something else that's a part of him. Man is dealing with something called a nature called sin that's in his life as well, a nature called sin in his life. And whenever we really see everything, God gave Adam and Eve a little restraint prohibiting the one tree, all right, amen, and they went against that anyway. Notice now, whenever the serpent was beguiling Eve, we don't have no indication that, that, that God was uh, actively around. I know God is on, omnipresent. He fills all places. But I'm saying that we have no activity of God within that scenario. It seems to be the serpent, and they're being beguiled by the serpent. So they have the only restraint that God gave them, don't eat of the tree. And when that is all they have, they sinned anywhere. Amen. They have no active presence or involvement of God at that time. They sin. Well, you know what? You look throughout the Scripture... You can have a conscience knowing good and evil. And guess what? You can sin anyway. We read later that there's human government that's set up. There's laws and there's commands. People have that written in tables of stone. And guess what? They sin anyway. And so what I come to find out is this. It, it doesn't matter if man is left to some type of prohibition or some type of restraint left upon his life or some governing law or if he has a conscience of right and wrong. Man, by nature, just seems to corrupt himself. By nature, he just seems to corrupt himself. Ultimately, what we need beyond a conscience, beyond a governing law, beyond some type of prohibition, what we ultimately need is the presence of God, the active presence of God, amen, that can keep a man. The Bible says in New Testament Scripture of 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, for I know nothing by myself. Paul says, I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Basically what the Apostle Paul is saying here, I know nothing by myself, yet I'm, I'm not hereby justified. The Apostle Paul is basically saying this in no uncertain terms. He's saying, I got a clear conscience. I got a clear conscience. I, I've let my conscience be my guide for, for I know nothing by myself. In other words, uh, according to myself, uh, there's been nothing done that's been wrong. I've tried to live life good. I, I've tried to live it uh, abidingly, and my conscience is clear. There's no guilt. There's no shame. I've allowed it to be my guide. Amen. Everything is well, but he doesn't stop there. He lets us know that his conscience, that alone was not his final authority on the matter of his life of what he had done or not done. He says, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. He said, I still need the judgment and the guiding conviction of the Lord in my life. He said, I don't care if I got a conscience or not. I don't care if I abide my, by my conscience or not. The final judgment, the final impact that I need in my life is the guidance and the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul was saying, I can't just let my conscience be my guide alone. That's good. But I have a higher authority that I got to answer to and that is the authority of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord. Man, when the end of the world is all said and done and judgment day comes, it's not everybody standing there allowing their conscience to judge them. Amen? You know, some people say, well, you know, my conscience, that, that's how God speaks to me, and, and that's great. That's wonderful. 
you know. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad that little voice speaks to you, you know, like that. But you need the final authority of the Lord because you've got to decipher between the Lord and your conscience. Amen. Because sometimes they don't always harmonize. And so sometimes our conscience, it doesn't only tell us sometimes right, wrong, but also tells us about other people's conduct. It does. Because we get this thing, and we, you may even said it sometime, you witness what somebody else is doing that perhaps maybe you don't approve of, and your mind might be, or maybe your mouth even utters it. Don't they have a conscience? Right? You ever done that? I can't believe it. How can they do that? Don't they have a conscience? Now, listen to me. The issue is not whether or not they have a conscience or they don't have a conscience. The issue is the integrity of their value system that their conscience is based on. Mm -hmm. It's the integrity of their value system. Because a loose value system will cause one's conscience to maybe validate an action that somebody else may avoid that has a stricter or more strict value system. Amen? And so that's where we get this thing, well, don't they even have a conscience? Yeah, they do. But they have a different value system. They have a different group of morals or maybe none. <laughs> they have a different group of morals. And so all of our conscience is based upon our morals or lack thereof or, or, or that value system. And so a good conscience sometimes, even the basis of a good conscience sometimes, isn't enough for a person. Because in our text, Paul told Timothy, and you may want to go back there, just throw it up. People's forgot. I've talked enough. They've already forgot what we read in the beginning of First, first Timothy chapter number one there. Paul is telling Timothy here, he's saying, Timothy, you, you can war a good warfare. You can war a good warfare. He said, there's been some prophecies concerning you about doing this. So you can war a good warfare. Not only that, he tells him how he can war a good warfare. And he names namely two reasons or two things. He says, you can war a good warfare by holding two things. Holding on to the faith and holding on or keeping a good conscience. Keeping a good conscience. Now, so we'd say a good conscience is the result of a good value system. We might even say a good conscience is a result of a God value system. But the only way that you can hold or keep a good conscience is by doing what you know and deem is right by that conscience. I hope everybody's paying attention so we don't lose you among the terminology here. So I'll go back to my gun, my gun analogy, all right? So a good conscience is like a gun. A conscience is like a gun without ammunition. Amen, sometimes. If you don't have a value system, the conscience exists, but it does not function. So back to this, you may though, you may have the proper ammunition for the gun to operate your gun, all right? Huh? So it's more than just existing now. It can actually be functional, but that is still subject to the marksman. I can have a gun and have ammunition in it, but I still, it's up to me to decide where I point it and when I shoot it. Right? And so a proper value system may be supplied. It may supply your conscience, and your conscience may do some guiding, but again, us as humanity, we still have a choice to do or not to do. That is the question. That is the question. During the Summer Olympics of 2004, there was an American athlete named Matthew Emmons he was sod, solidly on track to get the gold medal in the 53 or the 
50 meter three position rifle final. So they had this 50 meters out, three different positions, you shot a rifle at a target. He was in position to get goad that year in 2004. And so Emmons was up, he was up for his final shot. He was so far ahead of the other competitors, all he had to do was just to send a bullet anywhere through the inner ring of the target and boom, this man had gold for America. It would seal the deal. And so he prepared himself mentally. Uh, he paused his breathing. He took aim and then he fired. And the bullet passed right through the bullseye. But he was a little puzzled because whenever this happened, the tone indicating that he had hit it did not sound. And so it was then that Emmons realized that the bullseye that was hit was the one on the wrong target in the lane over. And so he dropped from first place and virtually a guaranteed gold medal dropped from that position to eighth place. And he, 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 his, his, his shot was right. His shot hit just right on. It just hit right on the wrong target. And so what I'm asking us is this. What if, our personal, what if our personal lives, our value system is good, our conscience is good, our aim is good, it's just dead on, dead on the wrong target? Because there's nothing wrong, could we say, there was nothing wrong with the ammunition that he had, nothing wrong with the rifle that he had, nothing wrong with the accuracy of the shot. It was just flawed and a mistaken marksman. That was the problem. So let your conscience be your guide. That's great. But if it resides within a flawed person, amen, if it resides within a flawed person, then we have the ability of missing the right, missing the wrong or hitting the right target. Paul told Timothy, he said, some concerning this good conscience and faith, he said, some have put away. Some have put it away. Some have disregarded it. Some have put away their their, their good conscience and what has happened is this there's been a shipwreck of their faith amen it separated them from their faith because they did they put away or did not listen to or ignore a good conscience Paul gave a couple examples of people Hymenaeus and Alexander that had done this amen and so he's just telling us a, a conscience that is intact that's good that's great wonderful tool of guidance amen but, but the things that their conscience deemed as wrong they did in spite of their conscience telling them it was wrong and so again it may be good but it's only as good as far as if you're choice matches what it's telling you if it's choice matches and so what we really have here then is a breakdown in obedience the bible says in romans 13 5 wherefore ye must needs be subject speaking about the law you must needs be subject to the law not only for wrath but also for conscience sake Paul tells the church at Rome there are some laws and there are some commands that we and should ought to subject, subject ourselves to or that we should obey. Amen. And if there's one reason Paul says or a couple reasons why you should obey those, here's a couple things why. Because if you don't, you should obey them so that you'll keep yourself from wrath or you'll keep yourself from punishment and you should also obey it because you know you should in order to keep from feeling guilty uh -huh, or shameful about your decision. And herein lies the problem. A conscience that is constantly being disobeyed, overrode, a good conscience that is constantly being overrode will eventually become calloused. Meaning it won't be long if you constantly, if your conscience constantly, you got a good moral conscience, it's constantly telling you don't do that and you do it anyway. 
it will erode away. It'll become calloused. Or if you're constantly over here and you should be doing good and you ignore that and you don't do it, your conscience is going to become callous to the place you can rewire, retrain your conscience that the Bible says it could come to a place, even it did for some people, that they called good evil and evil good. That don't, you, don't wake, you don't go to bed one night and wake up and that happens. That's a process of time. That's a process of ignoring something that you should not ignore. The Bible says in Isaiah 5, 20, Isaiah speaks it very plainly. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for, sweet for bitter, bitter rather. He says, woe unto them. What are you saying, Isaiah? He said, I've had some people that had some guidance, maybe from a good moral base of a good conscience, but they denied it, they ignored it, and now they're calling the very things that they used to would call evil, they're calling it good, and the things that they are calling good, now they're calling evil. And it's not right in the sight of God, them doing this. Proverbs 17, 15, the Bible says, he that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Whenever you start, man, you, you start justifying the wicked, saying, oh, that's okay, and you're condemning the things that are good, you got something going on that's drastically wrong. And he says it's abomination. It's loathsome. It's detestable unto the Lord. Amen. And so the sad thing is this. You can't allow your conscience just, just, just to let it be your guide, amen, because humanity has this idea that they don't always listen to what it's saying, and when that happens, there's a retraining of the conscience, a conscience you can't even then trust anymore. Sidney J. Harris once said, he said, once we assuage our conscience by calling something a, you've heard this term, necessary evil, he says, whenever, whenever we assuage our conscience to where we call something a necessary evil, he says it begins to look more and more necessary and less and less evil. <laughs> Amen. The Bible says, again, the problem with using our conscience as our guide is that we may ignore it. And then through a process of time, the Bible says what can happen to our conscience is this. It's a biblical term. It says through a process of time that our conscience can become seared or defiled. Seared or defiled. The Bible speaks in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Speaking of this, this, this word seared, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Why? Why is all this, this? Having their conscience seared with a hot Iron. Now, notice, in chapter number one, our scripture setting, Paul told Timothy that you can war a good warfare if you can hold the faith and hold a good conscience, right? Now, Paul, Paul tells Timothy, he says, some in the latter times are going to fail holding the faith and continuing with a good conscience. And whenever their conscience is seared, whenever their conscience gets seared, they're going to eventually depart from the faith and here's what they're going to open themselves up to as a result of that. They are going to be opened up to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies of hypocrisy. How in the world can that take place? 
because they ignored all the bad. They, they ignored it, them telling them not to do the bad and they went on and did it anyway and their conscience gets seared now they can't decipher from good from bad or bad from good what's right or wrong and so they'll, they'll ride the first pony of a deceiving doctrine they'll get on the bandwagon for seducing spirit why Why in the world why are they doing that because they don't know the difference anymore they ignored it long enough that they can't decipher the difference anymore I know we don't talk about this or preach about this very often but the Bible speaks that whenever we do something long enough that we shouldn't be doing but we know we shouldn't be doing the Bible says this happens our conscience be seared it has another word for it it says they turn them over into a reprobate mind and the reprobate mind is a mind that doesn't discern the good from the evil or the good from the bad and so you do things and you do things and you do things that seem to be man why in the world would any don't they have a conscience they do things that are not even natural he speaks up in Romans chapter number one now I'll turn them over and do those things that are natural I'll give them a reprobate mind if they want to go against my law, just be very forthright. It's not because they don't have a knowledge, but they just do it because they know it's not to be done, but they do it anyway. He says, then I'll just give them a mind that they can't tell right from wrong anyhow. Because what's the use that they're going to blatantly go against God? And we don't talk, well, we don't talk about that. But it's in the Bible. That's the reason why whenever we feel conviction... It's important to respond to that conviction. Absolutely. Absolutely important to respond to that conviction. Because if I violate then a good morally based conscience and I don't repent, that's going to start to become hardened. That's going to start to become calloused. And through a process of time, if that continues unchecked, you're going to reach a point where your conscience will be seared as it was. I remember one time someone saying, said, you know, they said, I just don't know how they do that, it being something negative or bad. I just don't know how they do that. Let me tell you something. Thank God you don't know how they do that because if you did, you're probably really close to where they're at. Uh-huh. Amen. The conscience becomes seared. The word seared means to cauterize, to render insensitive. Usually when they go and cauterize and they bring that heat you know, intense heat to, to whatever, inside of your body, whatever. You know, it, it's to do something to where there's, sometimes it's to s keep something from bleeding. Sometimes it's to cause a deadening of pain. Uh, amen. But it's to make whatever it is insensitive. And so that means whenever our conscience is made insensitive or insensible, amen, that it can't discern then right from wrong. It dulls the pain of sin. Sin is in such a way as it was with Adam and Eve that when they'd done wrong, they realized they had done wrong. The sad story is this, when you do wrong and you don't realize you've done it. There's the deadening of the pain. It no longer bothers you to do things that are wrong. You grow insensitive to sin. Amen. You can lie not even realize that you're doing it because your conscience is seared. There's nothing there to convince you one way or the other. The Bible says what happens in Titus 1 and verse 15. It says, unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Being abom abominable, I'm a snowman, right? And disobedient. And to every good work 
reprobate. So what, what's being said here is not unto the pure all things are pure, meaning that unto the pure everything that they see and everything they perceive is pure. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying to the defiled everything just seems negative, everything just seems uh, uh, defiled. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is this, to the pure all things of their life, body, and actions are pure. Even their mind and their conscience. But to the defiled everything that they do if you have a, a character a heart that is defiled because Matthew spoke of it's the things that come out of a heart that defile a man if you got a and the, the Bible says in Proverbs 4 24 keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life that if you have the very fountainhead for the things of life if it's defiled all of its tributaries that lead out of it are going to be defiled and so it's going to be defiled and it, it specifies there even the mind and the conscience are defiled amen and so whenever you have a conscience that is defiled your choices you make are going to be defiled mm -hmm. the decisions you make are going to be defiled and all of this is disobedient to the lord to every good work reprobate worthless unfit for anything reprobate someone say amen so here's here's the dilemma so in the garden the tree that was ate I believe God kept off bounds because he knew that it would be partaken of. Man was going to try to replace the voice of God in their life with the voice of their conscience. But we still got problems, whether there's a good conscience governing body. We still got problems. We still got problems. What we need is the ever presence of the Lord. Now look, if you will, I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 9 and verse number 7. It starts out speaking about the Old Testament tabernacle in Hebrews 9 and verse number 7. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Speaking of the priest, but into the second went the high priest alone. Talking about into that second veil. Went the high priest alone once every year, which was the day of atonement. Amen. Yom Kippur, the day of covering, as it was spoken of, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way unto the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. In other words, they went in with their, 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 their sacrifices and the blood from their sacrifices and that was to, to contend with their sin, which in the Old Testament, remember, mostly the focus was an external thing, yet all it did was covered up sin. That's the reason why the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the, name, the, the word Kippur is actually a covering, day of covering. All it could do was cover sin. Sweep, sweep the floor in your house and put it under the rug. You didn't get rid of the dirt. You just covered up the dirt. <laughs> Who's guilty of doing it this week? No. Anyway, you just covered it up. What it was, it said that, that could no, no means make the one who did this service perfect, even pertaining to his conscience. It couldn't help. It couldn't help a negative, bad, defiled. It couldn't do any for, anything for the conscience of a person. Could I even say this through certain regards? They're still guilty. They're still loading around a bunch of guilt and shame. Because... Look at Adam and Eve. They made their aprons. 
They covered up a certain portion of their nakedness, yet when God comes down, they still go hide. There's still guilt and shame. Amen? Amen. But then the Bible says in verse number 11, in verse number 11, it is, let me continue reading, but Christ, here we turned, we turned a corner here, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. He entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if by the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Everybody say purge. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He said, now the Old Testament sacrificial system, amen, concerning the conscience, it could not make the one who did it perfect and it could not help their conscience. But he said, how much more, not the blood of goats and rams, but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. By his blood, your conscience can be purged from dead works and to serve the living God. In other words, the Old Testament sacrificial system is very weak. Amen. Very weak. It only dealt with surface issues. But when we come to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has the ability to repair an evil, bad, corrupt conscience, one that may even been dulled. He has the ability to purge that conscience from the dead works. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to keep on doing the bad, evil, wicked, dead works anymore, but you can serve a living God because God comes down. Now it's not just a set of rules or a conscience or anything. It's the ever presence of the Lord back to the original garden intent of God saying this is wrong, that is right. Here's my presence, abide and live in that. So it's not letting your conscience be your God. Let your God be your God. Let your God be your God. Amen. It's your God. Because a godly conscience godly set of value systems again tremendous guide if we obey its promptings let me say this a conscience should only be complementary and never replacing the spirit of the Lord the prompting of the Lord as what was taking place in the garden of Eden if you can stand with me this morning and since my conscience can be seared and since it can be defiled and at times even considered dead. What that tells me is this. My conscience is not infallible. My conscience is not infallible. But God's spirit, God's spirit, his presence, it can't be defiled. It can't be defiled. As a matter of fact, that was already tempted through the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was always tempted like you and I are, yet was without sin. He's the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God. And so where I can somehow along the way acquire a defiled conscience, it can be defiled if I have the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is never going to be defiled. 
It's never going to be untruth. It is truth. And so all I can t- tell to us today uh, concerning let your conscience be your guide, I think, I think, that, is not, I think that is not in, that is correct. I think it should be busted. It is, should not be your ultimate guide. I believe we should lean on Romans 8 and 14 that states these words. The Bible says, for as many are led, or by say led, by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Let the Spirit of the Lord be your guide today. Hallelujah. Can we just bow our heads all across this place? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.